Welcome to another episode of Inside York Tech, a podcast featuring students, staff, and alumni of the York County School of Technology. Welcome back to another episode of Inside York Tech. I'm your host, Nick Staub, and we are here with two really interesting guests today. We have Kaya Overholzer, who is a 2018 graduate of York Tech, and she is currently working as a digital forensic analyst in uh, Chicago. And I that, that sounds to me like a, a job title straight out of CIS, so I can't wait to dive into that and learn more about what she does. And then we also have one of Kaya's former advisors, Mr. Duncan Merkert, who is also an instructor here in our network systems and cybersecurity program. So I'm excited to talk to him as well. Before we do so, just want to highlight a couple interesting things that have been occurring around the school over the last month or so. So first and foremost, our um, NTHS and NHS students hosted the 2023 Kinship Holiday event. And that is a really heartwarming event because it directly benefits foster children and their foster families, specifically local foster children. So we were, we were thrilled to be able to host that again. And then a uh, short time after that, we also hosted the Automotive Technology Employer Summit, which directly benefits our automotive technology students here at York Tech. Uh, I'd encourage you, if you want to learn more about any of those events or see the photos, which are awesome, uh, please visit our social media pages, specifically Facebook and Instagram. But without further ado, I want to get it, uh, into the conversations with Kaya and Mr. Merkert. Um, first of all, thanks for being here. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks for inviting me back. Um, school's definitely changed a lot since the last time I was here, so it's exciting to see kind of all the changes and the way the school has improved just since, you know, 2018. So this is your first time back since 2018? Yes. And uh, Mr. Merker, what's it like to be able to reconnect with one of your former students? Uh, it's great. Kaya is, was one of our most fantastic students during the time that she was here, and it's great to hear about how successful she's been and all of her endeavors uh, since she graduated. Well, she has most definitely been successful. And like I, I sort of teased in the opening there, her title is so fascinating to me. She is currently a digital forensic analyst at Charles River Associates in Illinois. And uh, more specifically, you shared that you specialize in dead box forensics and mobile device forensics. Can you tell us what that means? And what does your day-to-day, what does your day-to-day work life look like? Sure. Uh, so digital forensic analyst, um, just kind of like regular forensics, um, when a crime is committed using electronic devices, uh, the analysis and kind of legal process of analyzing and presenting that in the court of law. Uh, so dead box forensics just means that the computer is turned off at the time you take it versus something like incident response. If you're responding to somebody being hacked or malware ransom, you typically do that in a live environment to see what's currently happening. Uh, and then mobile devices, I think, is pretty self-explanatory. That's just your cell phones uh, and iPads and tablets. Uh, so my day-to-day is I do mostly white-collar crime work. So a lot of financial crime, uh, intellectual property theft, extortion, sexual harassment, um, the occasional uh, nation-state, you know, uh, listening in on people's cell phones, depending on the case. Uh, so my day-to-day kind of varies wildly. It's a project-based work, so typically it's dependent upon how many projects I'm signed up to be doing. I think right now I'm on about four or five that I'm aware of, at least. Um, but typically, I'm kind of uh, low-level, which is both good and bad. The good in that is that I get a lot of cool experience. I'm the cheapest labor, so I get sent lots of cool places. I've been to San Diego, Los Angeles, Phoenix, Miami, probably 100-plus places in the Chicagoland area. Typically, I will go in with a bunch of lawyers. We go up to somebody's desk and say, hey, you're fired. Give me all your electronics immediately. 
Um, and then I go and I take my copies. We do the analysis process. Occasionally, I get to do covert missions, so I wait till everybody's left for the day. Someone hands me the keys. I sneak in, make copies of everything, sneak out, you know, make sure nobody knows I was there. Uh, so it's it's something new every day. Um, so typically, after we get a forensic copy of a device, there's all sorts of fun tools that can kind of process and make our lives a little bit easier to go through. Um, but I, you know, through schooling, I also know how to do it the manual way. The manual way is just much more painful. So we do really like our tools. Um, and then it's just a matter of looking through at times terabytes, even sometimes petabytes worth of data and trying to kind of find, you know, the needle in the haystack of did they do it? Did they take it? And if so, how did they do it? What is every event leading up to it to that point? And what are the ramifications for the company? Whether that be like I said, intellectual property is stolen and they jumped to a competitor and took it with them. Um, extortion. So we have to go, you know, get the police or FBI involved to kind of help facilitate that conversation to get people their uh, property back or to get uh, threat actors off their back. And so it, it really, really goes day by day. In high school, one of the things I did is after work or after school, um, I worked at Best Buy as a Samsung certified repair agent. So I kind of knew that I've, I've always liked cell phones. I've always had a really soft spot for cell phones. Um, so, and unfortunately, cell phone does not, fixing cell phones doesn't pay that well. Additionally, there's not a lot of feature in that, especially as devices become harder to take apart. So cell phone forensics was kind of a way for me to continue to play with cell phones in a way that one, paid the bills, and two, kind of allowed me to explore that side of kind of hardware and software and getting data off of. Because cell phones are a lot more difficult to get data off of in a meaningful way than a laptop is. Well, in the movies, they make it look so simple, right? They they have that that cell phone. They want to get some information off of it. They walk it over to their you know tech specialist, and in a couple minutes, they they have an answer back. But it sounds like that's not the way the real world works. So when when you get that cell phone, and they say, "I'm looking for X Y Z," what are your next steps? Like, what describe the programs that you're using? Are you looking at the the photos, the the text messages, the you know any audio recordings? What what does that process look like? So 90% of the time, I kind of get a time range about we believe this happened, you know, within this month. And so I do get to limit it kind of within that month. And I look at legitimately everything that happened in that month. So photos, recordings, GPS locations, if I'm trying to, you know, pin them as being a certain place, text messages, recordings. Um, there's a lot of really good tools out there. There's a Celebrate, you know, Magnet Axiom, XRY, Oxygen Forensics, uh, Elkasoft, Belkasoft. So lots of great tools, but the thing that's very annoying is that every time an update comes out, it completely renders our tools useless for a couple days. So if you have a case that's on fire, it comes under this day. It's just a lot of kind of manual parsing and going through data by yourself. Uh, so really, it's just, I don't want to say tedious because I find it interesting. And it's also, in a weird way, a good way to get a look into somebody's life because, as you know, cell phones are very, very personal. Um, but it's a matter of legitimately going line by line, reading everything and finding the one anomaly or the one thing that they're dead set or they believe happened. And most of your work, is it is it coming from the private sector where a, an organization is saying we need help getting this information? Is it government agencies? Like, how how do you operate? Ninety nine percent of the time it is through private corporations. Um, occasionally we get an individual that decides to reach out to us, um, but usually it's private corporations. So, Mr. Merkert, can you give us a little insight into how you uh, introduce these these topics and some of these uh, responsibilities that they may have after graduation to to your students? Well, the kind of things that that Kai is doing is like one of the one of the top level careers that students can get into. 
and the way that we cover, the way that we get students to kind of move in that direction is to hit the basics all the time. There's so much troubleshooting that happens at the lower level end of the technology because any little thing that goes wrong, you have to fix, like we wanna try and fix it instead of just getting rid of it or replacing that technology. So I would say definitely it's hitting the basics as much as possible, fixing as much as possible, replacing parts instead of replacing items. The more you know the technology, the more you can maneuver around it and the more you know what you're looking for when it comes to specific information. Additionally, just a quick little fun story about knowing the basics. We had somebody who's very, very high up in a company who was convinced that his phone had been bugged. Um, there was three of us worked probably 80 hours across like a week trying to figure out if this guy was bugged because if it was, it was a very big deal because of the company he was involved with. Just to find out that he had been talking to Bixby, like the Samsung assistant for the past like month. And that was what was sending like random emails and adding things to his calendar. Um, but of course, <laughs> none of us thought to check that. Um, because we were like, oh, forensics, deep state, like, you know, North Korea, China, uh, Russian hackers. Um, but sometimes it is a matter of just going back to the basics and what capabilities does the phone have that could make it send an email that maybe you wouldn't normally think of. So that It's very great that you're kind of hammering that home because oftentimes the answer is the simplest and it's not the, you know, crazy anti-forensics experienced threat actor taking information. Kaya, you would have had to have an interest before even coming to York Tech because you have to apply to that that program. Uh, so I'll, I'll start with you. Like, where does that interest in cybersecurity come from? Um, I was having a very bad experience at my homeschool and just kind of needed a change. And technology just sounded the most interesting to me at the time. Um, once I got here, I wanted to be more involved just because I wanted you know something to do, something to put on a resume for college. And I decided on a whim to sign up for Cyber Patriot for reasons I don't really know why. I think I was just bored and wanted to. Um, and there is where I kind of found love in forensics, having six hours to figure out all these things. Like all um, For those of you who don't, I guess, who don't know what Cyber Patriot is, it's an Air Force Association ran uh, competition on digital forensics, cybersecurity, and networking, where you're given six hours to analyze um, a compromise, multiple compromised systems to figure out what happened, what went wrong, and answer some open-ended questions about it. And I just had so much fun doing it. It was just like, it was very stressful at the time. Don't get me wrong. But kind of that feeling you get though when you finally find like the needle in the haystack going through all this data and realizing, okay, this is what happened. was just, it was a feeling that I just wanted to experience again and again. And I fell in love with Cyber Patriot and then just kind of started gearing my education towards forensic as much as possible. So Mr. Merker, before I get your answer to my last question, I, I want to stay on Cyber Patriot because that is one of those clubs or organizations that doesn't always uh, get talked about enough. Can you give us some insight into what Cyber Patriot allows you to do with students that, that you're not able to touch on in the classroom? Really, it gives us the ability to analyze um, scenarios. It, it, it gives us the ability to throw students into the deep end is really where it is because we take students from all across the building for Cyber Patriot. We don't limit it specifically to the students in the IT program. And it's um, it also gives the students the ability to dig into whatever areas of cybersecurity they want to because it's entirely student run. We have, there's a, there's a council that gets elected every year and they're the ones who decide um, which directions the, the program is going to go. We have to stick with three basic directions, Linux, Windows, and networking. But other than that, the students decide what they want to do. So if a student decides, I want to see what a man in the middle attack looks like, we give them the tools to be able to set that up and do that with the students. And then they get to see what it looks like in real time. That's pretty cool. And I, I've had the interesting experience of, of being in the room when one of these competitions was going on. 
my first thought was or or preconceived notion was that I was going to walk in and you were kind of doing some hand holding there but really the advisor does all the teaching beforehand and you kind of just got to hope they they can crack the code essentially is that is that correct mm-hmm. according to the rules of cyber patriot especially during the competitions the teachers are not allowed to interfere at all i'm not even allowed to provide advice to the students i'm they they are supposed to take the competitions themselves take it very seriously and it's completely on their ability at that point Kaya, were you, how well did your teams do? Do you recall when, when you were in Cyber Patriot? Uh, so discounting freshman year because I didn't really know anything. And honestly, the fact that I even made it as far as I did was <laughs> really amazing. Um, but my following years, um, I was always on a team that made top five in the state. Uh, junior year, I believe it was, I made it to whatever the round was before the nationals, um, then got disqualified. So I made it pretty far in the competition, but unfortunately never quite made it to the national top 10. And by disqualified, she means that she didn't make the her team didn't make the rankings to move forward. It wasn't that they did anything yeah. that like they were they were untoward. Even though it is a cybersecurity competition, so there are plenty of things you can do that would be. So that word means something very different in the cyber patriot world than say an athletic event. Yeah. So I appreciate that uh, clarification. So I do want to circle back though. So Mr. Merkert, uh, we heard from Kai about how she got interested in this field. Where did your interest start? Do you remember? I, very similar to Kaya, I am always a huge fan of puzzles, not like puzzles that you put together on a table, but puzzles as in um, <clears throat> situations and problems that have a specific solution to accomplish a specific goal. So networking and computers were always of an interest of mine because things go wrong and there's always a reason and computers as a whole is an environment where there's nothing there's nothing like outside of the ordinary that happens. A computer isn't like a person where they can just decide one day that they're going to do something out of, out of the ordinary. Computers have rules. And solving puzzles within a series of, of rules was always very gratifying for me. So especially when it comes to the cybersecurity stuff and, and networking it, it itself is a big, a gigantic world where there are so many things that have to be done correctly in order for communication to occur. Like I just get the the biggest thrill of being able to set up a big complicated network and watching everything work. And presumably that's what you were doing during your time in the military. Is that is that correct? Yep. So how like what what made you want to transition from the military into helping helping students learn everything that you know and, and what are what are some of the cool benefits that you get from that? My um Decision to get into teaching actually happened in 2008 after I graduated from Thaddeus Stevens. I was looking for jobs at the time in computer technologies, and there was nothing available because it was the big economic downturn of 2008. And I started evaluating. I did what anybody would do at the time, started evaluating my life. And one of the things that I was continuing to tell myself as I was going through my degree was kids in high school should probably learn this stuff. We're moving into an age where if you don't have computer skills, no matter what your job is, you're not going to be as successful as you could be. So at that time, I said, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is, went back to school for education, and here I am. Kaya, I have to imagine you've, you've encountered some pretty interesting scenarios during your time. Uh, can, you, can you explain one that stands out more than others? Yeah, so I'm going to be purposely vague about parts of this because I can't speak about a ton of it, um, but it was a very wild three months. Um, so during COVID, a guy was hired to be a programmer, a very talented programmer, not the best employee. He picked fights with basically every single person at the company. 
Um, so eventually they decided to let him go because they weren't getting as much out of him technically as they, he was causing problems. Anyway, on his way out, he went full destruction, destroyed everything, all the product he'd worked on, every backup copy of the product, and just basically burned a ton of bridges. However, most of the time when I do work, I'm dealing with people who aren't necessarily super technical. Occasionally, it's still more work than others, but this guy was super technical, knew more than he should, and basically stomped on every single forensic artifact he could find just for fun, because he knew he was backed into a corner. Anyway, so it was three months of us digging through, I think we collected like eight laptops, four USBs, two phones, an iPad. Um, he put some of them in the microwave and broke others in half to keep us from getting data. And every step of the way, he just found a way to fight us back. Eventually, we got really lucky. They were going through volume shadow copies, which just for anyone listening, if you don't know, it's like copies that Windows makes when big events happen in case something happens and needs to roll back. Anyway, we go back, I don't know, six or seven copies. And he made a whole anti-forensics manifesto, a list of everything he was going to delete, everything, how he was going to do it, why he was going to do it, and like links to online about where he found out how to do it. And honestly, I've never been so grateful to find something in my life. We had been pulling our hair out for months trying to figure out what this guy was doing, how he did it, and why. And to find that, it was like every answer. We knew exactly what to look for, why he did it, where it was, how he did it. Additionally, we also had something really nice to go hand the lawyers and be like, here's all the evidence you need um, that this was all purposeful. Because he tried to play, a, oh, I dropped it when I was moving, or, huh, my kid put it in the microwave, and he had an excuse for everything. So that was both, that was probably one of the best cases I've worked, just because the sigh of relief we all got to have once we realized we didn't have to keep digging, because we were pulling 70, 80 hour weeks for probably about three months there trying to figure out what he did, because this company was just bleeding money. So I have to imagine that's like the digital forensic version of the Super Bowl, right? I mean, you you basically had the the golden key or the golden ticket to that point to, to solve the, the problem. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Were you able to recover a lot of those files? Or no. was it more just about proving what he'd done for, for criminal charges? At that point, it was all about proving what he had done for criminal charges, just because they bled millions of dollars until they either found a backup or found some way to stop the bleeding a little bit. And and Mr. Merkert, I mean, I'm sure either during your time as a teacher or during your time at the military, you've encountered some some pretty interesting scenarios. Is there one for you that kind of stands out? Not in particular. Um, there is there was an incident where we were it was we were in the middle of uh, what was our training, our two weeks training, because I was in the National Guard, so we do two weeks training in the and the, the summertime usually, and we were gearing up for a deployment, and we were going through an actual war game at the time. And our communications cut out overnight, and I was on the day shift. So I came in for, for my shift starting in the morning, and all the other technicians were freaking out because our, we, we were housing a general at the time, and the general couldn't do what he needed to do. So I walked in, and I took a look at what all of our network systems were and checked what everyone was telling me the problem was. And it was one of those moments where you've experienced it before, and you know exactly what the problem is. So I had to call Fort Bragg on a, on a secure line and one of their technicians got on and I said, you know, I need you guys to check, you know, a certain rating on our, on our connection. And I told them what connection it needed to be. And they tell us, well, okay, we've already checked that. You need to change this on our system. And I have a general standing next to me who's excited because he needs to be a part of this war game. And I'm on the phone with Fort Bragg. So everybody's sweating bullets at this point. And the general goes, okay, so do it. And my response was, no, we're going to wait just a second. 
And then the connection comes back up because over what people don't understand about IT in general is that there's something called a time to live on certain connections between routers. And if that time to live goes off, then your connection gets terminated. And that happened to us so, so many times while working for the military because we don't want to leave open connections that no data is being passed through. So all it was was somebody who knew, understood what was going on, making a call to Fort Bragg and telling them, hey, you know, change a setting, push, push a little data through so that our communications works because Fort Bragg is a very, very secure location. So we can't do that from our end. They have to do it from their end. And it was, it was neat to be able to sit there and everyone was worried and like changing settings and stuff and trying to make things work. And well, there's only one call was what needed to happen. I have to imagine that occasionally there are those light bulb moments that you see go off for a particular student. What's that like when they finally kind of have that aha moment and get what you're trying to teach them? It's one of the reasons that I'm still a teacher is, is when that moment occurs, when a student finally gets what we're talking about. And since I started teaching subnetting at the freshman level, I know it's been great. Kai, can you tell us about where you went for, for college, what you majored in, and how your time at York Tech helped, helped you be successful? Yeah, so I went to Champlain College in Burlington, Vermont, tiny uh, private liberal arts college, but it is the best uh, school in the country for digital forensics. Uh, so my degree was in computer and digital forensics with a minor in criminal law and a, a specialization in mobile device forensics, which is a mouthful. Um, and the one thing I can say that I can give York Tech a lot of credit for is one, they let me test out a lot of the beginning classes by having like I graduated with my A plus, my Linux plus and something else. I'm mind blanking on a networking one. Um, and they let me. They said, OK, you don't take all these intro level classes. Was that CCNA? You got your CCNA? Uh, before CCNA. You I didn't get the CCNA. Oh. Anyway, so I got to skip a bunch of the intro level classes, which later on when I was a junior and a senior, I was able to take some really cool electives and to kind of expand um, and do other classes because I had all this free space in my uh, schedule. Additionally, another thing is too, is that a lot of people went in with little to no tech experience and really struggled. At the very least, all of the intro stuff, I flew through pretty good. I had a really, um, particularly in networking, I had a really solid background. I wasn't crying over subnetting. Um, I wasn't freaking out about, you know, making little labs and, you know, connecting in routers and stuff and pinging things and using Netacad. A packet tracer, that was a that was a headache for a lot of people that I was able to thankfully avoid because I'd done it so much here. So really, I feel like I went with a lot more experience than most students. And as a result, I was able to excel in college because I didn't get bogged down in the weeds as early as most people did. Before we move forward, just a shout out has to go out to I'm the, the networking and cybersecurity teacher now. The networking and cybersecurity teacher when Kaya was here was Mr. Stauffer, who retired after Kaya's year. And uh, he's the one who was our Network Academy guru, and he put all that stuff together, and he was an expert at teaching because he, he had over 30 years' experience. So big shout-out to Mr. Stauffer. He still comes back and consults with us from time to time. He's helping us out. But. And also, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention Miss Patty Baca. She's also the, the other instructor in our Network Systems and Cybersecurity program. Couldn't be with us here today, but between, between her and, and Mr. Merkert, our students are getting a top-notch education, that's for sure. Um, so I'm interested to hear from Mr. Merkert. Did you have that sense that she was going to be successful when you were serving as her advisor here at York Tech? If I recall, Kaya's goal upon graduating from York Tech was to become the head of the NSA. Yeah, um, I've given up on that a little bit, but that was my goal at the time. <laughs> well, digital forensics and uh, degrees in law, that definitely will get you there. 
but yeah, I, Kaya, Kaya was one of those students that, you know, you just know is going places and that they're going to succeed in whatever they do. So, and, and I want to dive into a little bit more about what you teach. Uh, and we touched on that earlier, but let, especially since we just got through the 2024-25 application period, you're going to be having a new set of students come, come next school year. What are some of the, the topics that they can expect to, to cover and learn while they're here? Um, we've been building up our freshman level um, IT fundamentals class to the point where the students will be capable of taking their IT fundamentals certification test at the end of their freshman year. So that's the first hurdle. And that's all basic um, IT stuff from computer hardware, software, networking, um, simple cybersecurity. It's a lot of conceptual work and a lot of it is a grind. We try and do as much like hands-on stuff as we possibly can with students at that level. We try and we're, we're trying to make the freshman year as broad as possible so that the students get a taste of each of the IT disciplines. That way they can, they can kind of pick their career or pick the goal that they want as far as uh, their education here at Tech. So for those those freshmen that are coming in, it's my understanding that they're going to be going through a rotation of different classes to help them determine which of our IT-related programs they want to focus on. Can you give us an overview of some of those classes that they'll rotate through freshman year? Every freshman student that comes into the IT program starts out in either hardware or computer software, and they get a basis for both of those uh, two subjects during the first half of the year. After that, they'll go to computer programming or cybersecurity. And in both of those two programs, they'll learn the, the basics of those two disciplines so that when they get in for their sophomore year, they'll, be, they'll have a, a, an understanding of the basics of computer technologies itself, and they'll be able to kind of choose which direction they want to go for their senior, their junior and senior year, which are the three programs, um, networking and cybersecurity, uh, programming, and computer hardware and systems repair. So they really have a lot of options, and inevitably, I would imagine most students find something to, to really latch on to when they go through those those classes. Yep. seems to be a lot of interesting stuff being covered there. Kai, I want to go back to you for a second, because obviously, in addition to all these cool classes that you're taking at York Tech, you were involved in much more than just Cyber Patriot, specifically uh, Skills USA and TSA, or the Technology Student Association. I'd like to hear from one or both of you about what those programs entail and what students get out of that. Yeah, so I additionally, besides Cyber Patriot, I also did Skills USA, TSA, and I helped found the Tabletop Gaming Club, um, just so we, I had an excuse to play Dungeons and Dragons after school with my friends like nice. three times a week. Um, but both Skills USA and TSA um, really kind of pushed me out of my comfort zone because, as much as Cyber Patriot was fun, I still sat in my classroom with my friends and did things versus like Skills USA or TSA, that was me traveling somewhere, competing on site with a bunch of other students from around Pennsylvania and somewhere, you know, other places on the Northeast and really kind of being pushed out of my comfort zone and interacting with others and in some cases being getting very competitive with others. Um, so for Skills USA, I did web design, extemporaneous speech and computer hardware and repair. Um, I did, I'd like to say I did pretty well. I came in first in all of those for regionals. I made it to states for all of them, um, unfortunately. Uh, for all of them, I came in like fourth, so I just barely missed the cutoff to go to the national level. TSA, I did. Oh, TSA, I also did web design and computer and tech repair. Um, additionally, I somehow ended up as the mechanic for one of the RC car races on accident. Um, so that was a lot of fun, but very unintended. And again, those had a little bit less kind of of a time commitment overall. Cyber Patriot, at least when I was here, we were meeting twice a week for two hours every week. 
So that was a little bit more of like a group study session and working with others versus SkillJuice and TSA. Although we had meetings and we still kind of interact with each other, that was a lot more about the on-site interactive competitions. However, that was also fun though, because like I said, I got to stay in some cool places, you know, hotels, that kind of stuff, did some events with my friends. But it was a lot of more of, you know, dress up, get up on stage, do something in front of a bunch of judges versus eat pizza with my friends while we try to find something in a Linux image. Um, and Mr. Merkert, you know, obviously being part of Cyber Patriot, where do you see your curriculum going? Because I, I would imagine it's it's constantly morphing to adjust with with what's currently happening in the industry. Are there are there big ticket items you see coming down the pike that you're going to have to incorporate into your classroom? Yeah. Um Right now, the biggest industry that the, the the biggest technology explosion that's happening is obviously cloud tech. Um, with everything being shifted off to like everything being shifted off site and technology being hosted in the cloud and equipment being hosted in the cloud, being able to basically rent systems in a in a virtual environment, um, that's the next biggest step for the class. We want to be able to take like the IT class the way we have it now, and be able to run it from home. So that students that maybe miss a class can log in and still get access to their their virtual machine from home to be able to do their projects um, and then be able to host uh, full environments for students to run their own cybersecurity practice. They can spin up several machines and then imitate a cyber attack and then imitate defenses against that cyber attack. And to do that all from wherever they're at on their laptop is the is the goal. Um, so before we start winding down, I want to make sure we, we hit on one other thing that you were involved with, uh, Kaya, you were a co-op student here in our information technology department. And for those who aren't familiar, a a co-op student is essentially a paid intern. They are hands-on during the co-op opportunity. So I want to hear more from you about what that allowed, what that opportunity allowed you to do and and what you were able to achieve. Yeah. So I was, uh, as mentioned, I was a co-op student here at York Tech. Um, I did help desk. Um, so basically, for a lot of the more low-level things, it didn't involve crazy network access or you know a bunch of adult supervision, for lack of a better word. Um, I got to run around the school and fix. That was you know helping with projectors, uh, reinstalling Windows if something went wrong. Just kind of your basic help desk ticketing system. When people you know had an issue, they'd submit a ticket. I'd assign it to myself. I'd go run around the school and fix it. I was getting like twenty thousand steps a day, and it was great. Um, but it was a really good experience. Um, one, because when we had downtime, everybody in the IT department was great at sitting down and teaching kind of new concepts. Because as much as I did learn a lot in my classes, there's something to be said, too, about working in like a prof- more professional environment, sitting down and being like, OK, well, here's our actual architecture and this is how it works and this is why, versus kind of dealing with the theoretical about this is how it should work and this is why. Um, additionally, it gave me some really good troubleshooting steps. There was oftentimes when I was you know, stuck in a classroom with a teacher and I had 30 students looking at me waiting because they wanted to watch their video or something need to be updated on Canvas. Um, and I just kind of had to, you know, get down to the wire and try to figure out, okay, as Mr. Merkin had said before, you know, they have rules. What rules, you know, within this aren't working? What here isn't working and what can I do to fix that? Um, so for me, it was a really good experience, one, and kind of having to think on my feet because I was almost never alone. I was almost always in a classroom full of people who needed that computer to work. And two, so there's definitely some pressure there for sure. Yes. And two, it was also a good experience because I had most of the credits I needed to graduate high school at that point. So it gave me something productive to kind of do with my time and during my day. I was able to learn new skills, make a little bit of money, uh, and just kind of, I don't want to say cruise my senior year because I was super involved with a bunch of extracurriculars I've mentioned before, but it just kind of gave me a good 
kind of break and like something easy, not easy, but something I can kind of work towards every day that bettered my skills, but kind of in a low stress environment, just because because it was here at the school and there was so much resource and so much support, I wasn't out there necessarily floundering by myself. I had a walkie-talkie. I could call someone and say, hey, I really don't know what's going on. Can you give me some tips? So it was just a really good way to kind of take all the skills I had learned in class and apply them, but in a low-stress setting. Additionally, while I was doing all that, I also worked part-time at Best Buy doing Samsung certified phone repair. Um, so I was sleeping like four hours a night the entirety of senior year. Um, but I'm very grateful that I just kind of sucked it up and somehow made it through because it ended up being like a perfect kind of experience of everything coming together and giving me a great baseline for my future career. That's pretty wild. But it's great to see someone who is so motivated and involved in so many things now doing uh, absolutely fascinating work in the in the field. Well, I, I really appreciate both of you being here because I I feel like just from my vantage point that I have a much better understanding of what Kaya does, what what we offer in uh, Mr. Merkert's program, Ms. Baca's program. Thank you both. I really appreciate you being here. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Inside Your Tech. Catch all future episodes by visiting ycst.info slash podcast. 